0: You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated. We're in a series called Loudmouth, and we're looking at the life of Peter, the disciple. You know, Peter's name is mentioned 191 times in the four Gospels. The other 11 disciples are only mentioned 130 times in total. That's because Peter talks a lot. And so we see his name mentioned many times in the New Testament. So with your copy of God's word, let's go to one of those gospels. Would you turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew in your copy of God's word, Matthew chapter 14. I hope you have God's word with you today. You can share it with the person next to you. Go to your smartphone. It's also on the screen behind me and in front of you. So Matthew chapter 14, easy book to find, first book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is after Malachi and the split between Old and New Testament. Matthew chapter 14. Probably a familiar story to to many of you today. Matthew 14, let's begin in in verse 22. Immediately, actually that's the word that Mark uses all the time, so Matthew borrows that word. Immediately, he, meaning Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Keep your Bible open. I want us to see six things in this passage today. And it's such a familiar passage, maybe to so many of us, that often we don't see these six things at first read, or even as we try to remember this story together. And I'm not trying to get clever with the text at all today, but maybe point out some things that we often miss. But context first, because context is king when it comes to Bible study. It has been another mind-blowing day for the disciples Uh, They had sailed now to the northern part of of the Sea of Galilee, and surely that entire time they were out on the water, they could not stop talking about all the things they had just seen. What did they just see? 5,000 men fed. And not just 5,000 people, 5,000 men. So you add in the kids and the ladies, and maybe 15,000 people fed, all with one boy's sack lunch. The power that Jesus commanded has certainly thrilled them. Without any question in my own mind, certainly this was the topic of conversation as they were now on the boat remembering what had happened through the day, but they'd also heard that very day about the death, the beheading of, of John the Baptist. And it was Herod who had commanded that killing. Because of the family relationship between John the Baptist and Jesus, certainly that news began to unnerve them just a little bit that the day had also ended a little strangely. This, This massive picnic with the free and multiplying food for the masses had actually turned into a Jesus for King rally. When the Gospel writer John is telling us this narrative, he said that the people tried to make Jesus their earthly Jewish king after he had given all of them this free food. And Jesus was visibly disturbed by this enthusiasm for the Jews to make him an earthly king. So he moved quickly to douse the flames of that rally. And why had Jesus been in such a hurry to get the disciples into the boat, to send them toward Capernaum, we learned from some other gospel writers, and they're gonna to have to sail through the night without him? It was a long walk from where they were all the way around to Capernaum. And so while the disciples were on the sea, the the wind began to pick up and the waves grew. This means, of course, that the oars had to come out and now they had to battle against the wind. This could add hours to their trip. So this messianic excitement turns into exhaustion and intensity as they're trying to outmaneuver the storm that is coming toward them. Now, verse 25, hope your Bible's still open. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Matthew is so chill when he writes that. He came walking on the sea. You know, like people take walks on the sea all the time. It's so matter of fact, it's almost overpowering, but this is no big deal for Jesus at all because he who made the sea can walk on the sea if he chooses. And so Jesus comes walking on the water. Also don't miss this, he knew where to walk. He knew where his disciples were. He knew right where they were to be found. This is good news for everybody in this room. Jesus always knows where his people are. And darkness is never a barrier to him. So it's about three o'clock in the morning, maybe 4 a.m. That's the fourth watch. And someone shouts out, What's that? And my mind certainly it was Peter who yelled it out first. And they all look. And someone was walking, maybe floating across the sea. And this unearthly fear seized them. Look at verse 26. They cry out, It's a ghost. You see, a common superstition among seafarers of that day was that people who drowned on the Sea of Galilee would come back as ghosts and they would haunt the Sea of Galilee. And so they were so confounded at this point. They thought that there was a ghost on the water and who can blame them really because up to this point, no one had walked on water. And these men, verse 26, cried out in fear. Krodzo phobos in, in Greek, it means they screamed in terror. It literally means that you're so afraid that you're put to flight. So if you want to just kind of put that into 2024 vernacular, they were scared out of their minds. So in that context of, of fear, is this, is this a ghost? There's waves beating against this, this boat. It was in that context how comforting the words must have been for that familiar voice to say to them, verse 27, immediately taking note of his compassion, Jesus spoke to them in their fearful state. What did he say? Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. The literal translation, it is I am. A phrase that Jesus often used to to claim deity. It's the same phrase that God used to Moses back in Exodus chapter three when he said, I am that I am. And if Jesus' deity needed some support, (laughs) I would think that walking on water would sure strengthen his credentials. And then he said these four words do not be afraid. Four powerfully beautiful words. You see, Highland, fear is unwarranted when Jesus is present. And do not be afraid is the most often repeated command in Scripture. Everyone was speechless. Except for Peter, of course. Verse 28, he yells out, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I I, I love that. Surely every astonished disciple whipped their head around and looked at him 100%. Peter, what what are you talking about? And I think this is really important. It's the first time we ever read and see that Peter calls Jesus Lord. And he does two times. Verse 28, Lord, command me. Verse 30, Lord, save me. And Lord is is a name of reverence, you see, there's evidence now that something is happening inside of the character of, of Peter. There's some obedience that's being produced inside of him. It's as if his loud mouth is now turning into loud faith. In fact, Peter isn't even sure that it's Jesus. That's why it says in verse 28 if it's you, probably about the same time he's swinging his legs over on the side of the boat. I mean, yes, Peter is is headstrong. Yes, his mouth got him into trouble so often, but his faith allowed him to experience something that no one else has ever experienced. And Jesus' one-word answer should resonate in the heart of every believer in this room. He says, come. And when Jesus said, come, it had all the tender compassion in that one word, of a good dad who's calling his kids into the safety of his arms. He said, come. I mean, he knew that Peter's faith was weak. He knew that Peter's faith, we see it all throughout the New Testament, was frail. We understood that his faith was was faulty. But you see, the Lord never rejects even frail faith. He takes it, and then he builds it up. The Lord never rejects any weak love that we might give him. He, he takes that love and, and he accepts it and he builds it up. See, this is, this is who God is. He takes us right where we are and sometimes he'll bring us through this trial to increase our capacity to believe him and to love him, to trust him. And therefore, that increases our capacity for every chapter of life that God will always provide in any storm. So Peter steps off the boat And now he's walking also on the sea toward Jesus because Peter wants to participate in the wonders of Christ's workings. It is the same invitation given to every person in this room today. Come and share in the life of Jesus. Come and share in the limitless power of Christ. So note takers, I'm just now getting to number one. Here it is. Peace doesn't come from finding a lake with no storms. It comes from finding a savior with no limitations. Because friends, you're not gonna find a lake that doesn't have any storms. In other words, life has storms. All of you in this room, you're either coming out of a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or how's this for good news? A storm may be coming tomorrow. But it's one of those three options coming out of, in, or headed right toward one of those. And we see in, in this picture here that, 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 that peace, the peace of Christ, does not come from, from trying to stay away from the storms as best as you can because storms will come. Instead, it's about finding this rest, this, this peace, and even the person of Jesus who has no limitations. You'll never find Jesus so precious as when the world all around you feels like one big storm. Then in the middle of that storm, Peter trusted Jesus enough to step out of the boat. I'm sure you picked up on this. No other disciple even dared to step out. And then, verse 29, hope your Bible's still open, Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. Again, Matthew says it so simply, so nonchalantly. Peter, well, of course, he just walked on the water. Simple words for an incredible moment. But things are going to get more surreal by the moment. Because then Matthew interrupts this incredible story with a conjunction. Yes, English teachers, I remember this from high school. Verse 30, but. But after taking a few steps, Peter froze. Then he began to sink. You see, once Peter was outside of the familiarity and the safety of of the boat out in uncharted waters, or actually out on uncharted waters, Everything started feeling to him really precarious. Why? Well, you may not know this. People don't actually walk on water. We may have become so accustomed to this story that the oddity of, of walking on water d- doesn't hit us, but it sure hit Peter, and he started to sink. You know, when your name means the rock, water is not your friend's. And did you notice that Peter didn't sink, though, like a rock? I love this in verse 30, beginning to sink the last time you jumped into a swimming pool did you gradually sink or did you head straight toward the bottom there's, there's something profound going on here Peter reaches out toward Jesus and he cries verse 30 Lord save me and what a great prayer that is three short words Lord save me Someone has once said that all of our prayers can be wrapped up with either one word or two words. Every prayer we've ever given to the Lord was either help or thank you. This just happened to be a really long prayer right here. Lord, save me. Note takers number two, our spiritual trophies are never won without troubles, but they are always won by prayer. Any spiritual victory you've ever had in the past, any spiritual victory in the middle of today, any spiritual victory that you'll have this coming week, there will always be a wrestling to it. There will always be suffering involved with that. There will always be troubles involved in any spiritual trophy, any spiritual victory that we have, but those spiritual trophies are always won by prayer. Lord, save me was a short prayer, but listen, it was a received prayer. A desperate prayer but a prayer that was heard by the one who can answer and act. So Jesus reached out to him, uh, uh, grabbed him, and pulled Peter up. And, and with this affectionate firmness, he says here, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I don't know about you, but I think Peter actually showed remarkable faith. And following Jesus out on the water, I wonder if that thought even occurred to the other disciples. If I was on that boat, I thought before, would that thought even occur to me at all just to jump out on the sea, the raging sea at that? I personally, if you don't mind me saying this, I don't think this was a rebuke from Jesus. I think it was a loving question. Now, if we're not thinking carefully together today, we might assume incorrectly that it was Peter's faith that kept him on the water. But that's not accurate. It was not Peter's faith that kept him afloat. It was Jesus. And Peter knew that. That's why he didn't just leap out of the boat. Instead, remember, he asked Jesus to command him to get out of the boat. So what Jesus did was he honored Peter's faith by commanding the waters to bear the weight of Peter. I think this is unbelievably key. If you want to write this down, faith is not faith in our faith it's faith in Jesus's word and in his character. If you think you can produce enough faith that that has a resting place, enough faith that can save you, if you think you can somehow self-generate enough faith to carry you along through the storms, then you have a misunderstanding of faith. Faith has to have a resting place. And that resting place can't be my heart or your heart. It's certainly not circumstances. It can't be other people. So faith is not faith in our faith. It's faith in the word of Jesus. It's faith in the character of Jesus. So the object of our faith matters so much more than the measure of our faith. Did you see here, Peter began to sink when his faith shifted from the firmness of the word of Jesus to the instability of the winds and the circumstances around him. And when that faith began to shift, Jesus let him sink. Don't miss this, friends. Slowly sink. And for Peter, that was a grace. Why is that a grace? Because Peter's sinking produced his cry to Jesus. That cry again, verse 30, Lord, save me. So the sinking quickly got Peter to stop looking at the world or looking at himself as some source of rescue. And instead, it caused him to cry out to the only one who could save him, Jesus. And when he did that, Jesus pulled him back up. Number four, Jesus's word is truer than our feelings. And in doubting that, sometimes he lets us sink to compel us to refocus. I probably could have just stopped at that first phrase, couldn't I? Jesus' word is truer than our feelings. All of a sudden, Peter started relying on what he felt and and, and what he saw and what he sensed around him. And as soon as Peter moved his heart or his affection or his attention or his emotions away from Jesus, he begins to, to sink. But gradually, could it be that some of you in this room, even today, the Lord has allowed you to sink a little bit? If so, that's a great grace from him. If it turns you back to Jesus and causes you to repent and causes you to refocus the affection of your heart and the attention of of your mind, trusting in Jesus and his word over our perceptions, I'll give this to you, Highland. It is a hard lesson to learn. That's why Jesus is taking some of you, even right now, through some really faith-trying situations. The Lord is taking some of you in this house, even right now, through some faith-building experiences. Now, why is he doing that? So that your eyes will be reset, refocused on him. Here's the fifth thing. If you never have a storm, you never know you can endure a storm in Jesus' strengthening presence. I, I, I doubt many of you are gonna take me up on this, but I'll try. Maybe instead of praying, God, please don't give me any storms this week, What if someone began to pray, God, as you give me storms this week, will you show me that your grace is enough? Will you show me that your strengthening presence is enough for that storm? Here's the thing about that prayer. If you're praying, God, don't send me a storm, life is gonna send you a storm. People are gonna send you storms. Bad decisions in your life or the life of the people around you is gonna send you into storms. Life is storms. So if they're coming, why not ask the Lord to give you a strengthening presence of himself? You know, you never really understand the power of God on your behalf until you're actually caught in the whirlwind of a storm. Let me say that one more time. You never really understand the power of God on your behalf until you're caught in the whirlwind of an emotional storm, a spiritual storm, a physical storm. About 14 years ago, uh, Pastor Jared, our worship pastor, he and I were kayaking on Cedar Creek Lake. And when we went out into the lake, it, it was beautiful. Everything looked really nice around us. And we saw a storm coming, but uh, I'm not a weatherman. I, had, I mean, I had no idea. I thought it was going to kind of go around us. And that storm came right at us, right on top of us. And there in the middle of the lake, we were having to try to get back to our, to our car. And as we were paddling back in our, in our kayaks, we weren't going anywhere, like we were straining as much as we, as we could and we could not go against the storm. And at first it was kind of funny, like head down, like we're not going anywhere at all. But then I realized we're stuck out here in the middle of this lake. And, and I started praying and, and Jerry started crying for his mom. And so we were out there just, you know, kind of on, on, on the lake doing that. was probably just the opposite. And we, and we finally made our way to, to, to the shoreline. But here's the deal. Storms have a way of showing men their weakness. And if you're in a storm right now and you feel weak in the middle of that storm, Jesus has you right where he wants you. Storms have a way of showing men their weakness, but storms also provide opportunities for Jesus to show us his strength. So here in Matthew 14, you're you're a very bright congregation. I I say this to other people around the city, other pastor conferences, like, I am low spiritual IQ when it comes to the, 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 the people of Highland. So I know you're already many steps ahead of me on this. You remember back in Matthew 14, when we first started reading this passage, Jesus was praying on a mountainside. You know that he could have just turned on that mountainside and said, Father, stop the storm. Or on that mountainside, he could have said, Father, don't let there even be a storm. But instead, Jesus allowed the storm, but then sustained his followers in the storm So they could learn that in the storm Jesus is there here's the last thing and this was most astounding to me this week I'm 55 54 50 something mid 50s and I've heard this story like my whole life this is Vacation Bible School material right here but I'm sure I've ever seen this until this past week Jesus not only came in the storm this is awesome he came on the storm So, the sixth thing, you can write this down, number six Jesus uses the very trial as his footpath to get to his own to comfort them. It's not as if Jesus said, Okay, storm be dismissed, I'm gonna get out there. Jesus did not walk in the storm, he came on the storm. The the, the howling wind, the crashing waves, They were continuing as he made his way out there. Remember in the story, the winds don't cease until he's on the boat. So he did not come in the peace of the storm. He came in the chaos of the storm. He came right in the middle of that and the the crashing waves, they did not affect Jesus. In fact, he used those waves. Jesus stands on those waves. Jesus commands those waves because the winds and the waves, they know his voice. He did not calm the storm to get to his people. He walked on the storm to get to his people. I'm gonna mess up some of y'all's theologies, but here it goes. This story is not about Peter's faith or lack thereof. This story is not even about a storm or terrified men on a boat. This story ultimately is about the power of Jesus. And like the disciples in the boat, we can end up saying with them, verse 33, truly you are the Son of God. You see, that verse, verse 33, is the purpose of everything else in this chapter. I might even say everything else in all the gospels. Worshiping Jesus as the Son of God. Because this is true, Highland family, there is no reason this week for anxiousness. No matter how severe the storm, no matter how hopeless it may look to you even today, Jesus so matter-of-factly says, in the ESV, he says, take heart. But in some of your Bibles, I love this translation, he says, cheer up. I'm here. Jesus doesn't give some great speech. There's not some theological description here in this passage. In fact, he didn't even explain scientifically how he was able to walk on the water. By the way, one more time, this story is not to teach the disciples they can walk on water. Because after this incident, no one walks on water again that I read of in the Bible. In fact, people today who claim they can do miracles, they don't do so well on this one. Walking on water is a difficult thing. So this is not to teach people to walk on water. This is to teach people who can't walk on water that Jesus can You see, life is stormy. There are pains, there are hurts, there are wounds. Some of you will suffer more than others, but all of us in this house, to some degree or another, we will go through difficult days in life. And the great confidence in this story is that you're never away from the authority of Jesus. You're never away from the protective care of Jesus. You're never away from, from the presence of, of Christ our Lord, never. I mean, that the storm is never so severe, the night is never so dark, or the situation never so frail, that Jesus is not there. This is our confidence. And this is what Jesus wanted to teach them, and this is what Jesus wants to teach us today. There will be storms, but our God walks on water. And he comes to us in, in the storm. He, he makes the storm his very path. So Highland, what is there to fear? Jesus is either on the mountain interceding for us or he is on the water walking toward us. Either way, we're secure. Well, we're secure in his power. We are secure in his protection. We are secure in his prayers. And praise God, we are secure in his presence. With us always. Even until the end the age would you stand with me please and let's pray together Father it's just one of those stories that just never grows old because your word is living and active you just highlight different things to us every time I hope it's freeing to all of us today Father, that that faith is not faith in our faith. Our faith has found a resting place in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we worship him just as those disciples when Jesus spoke to the waves and caused them to cease. And they worshiped him and said, this is truly the son of God. May, may that be the echo in our hearts even today. Jesus, you are the son of God. And our faith is in you. Our faith in ourselves is so weak. It's unsustaining. It certainly is not gonna save us. But a faith set on one who will not give way, faith set on one who has endured throughout the generations, that faith will stay even in the middle of the storms. Thank you, Father, for being with us in this place right now. Through the name of the one who walked on the water for us, we pray. Amen. So the altar is going to be open during this next song. Maybe you're going through a storm. Maybe your family is going through a storm. Maybe your kids are. Maybe your marriage is. Perhaps you want to use this next song just to come and kneel before the Lord and just give him that storm back. You can ask God for his strengthening grace to be so near to you. Or I might even dare some of you today to come up and say, God, I'm in a storm. Thank you for that storm. It has caused me to reset my heart and my focus on you. We have some staff members here at the front. If you wanna pray with them, they'd love to pray with you. Maybe there's something in your life that you wanna share. Maybe you're ready to, to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you're tired of having faith in your own faith. And today you'd wanna to place your faith in Jesus Christ, on Jesus Christ. Also to my left, to your right, we'll have an elder there and his spouse would love to pray over you. If today you're a storm of sickness or an upcoming surgery, maybe a health situation, I'd love to anoint you with oil and, and pray over you today that God might raise you up. Let's sing together. Won't you please come?